Big time news, baby combo was born on July 18th, 2019. Thanks to everyone who's been reaching out, sending their blessings. It means more to me than you know. What up, what up, what up everyone? Welcome to episode 82 of Combo's Court and I am Combo. Big shouts to everyone who's been listening to Combo's Court across the globe. The continued support, man, nothing short of amazing. Go leave a five-star rating and a friendly comment right on your Apple Podcast app. Today's show, NBA performance specialist Paul Favorites joins in to discuss vertical jump training, flexibility, the benefits of training barefoot, plus much, much more. You could follow Paul on Instagram at PJF Performance. That's PJF, P-E-R-F-O-R-M-A-N-C-E. You know you could follow me on Instagram at 1-2-Combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Paul favorites, I got that right? Yes, you did. Surprisingly, most people get it wrong. <laughs> I do my research, man. <laughs> Welcome to Combo's Court, man. How you feeling? Hey, I appreciate it. Glad to be here. Great, man. So, man, I'm going to start out a little differently than, um, first of all, I love the podcast. You're, you're segueing great. Thank you. Uh, I love it, man. Appreciate that. <laughs> Do you ever, like, think that um, there's there could be a way that you're not thinking about or that nobody's thinking about to improve athletic performance? Like, there's something out there that could give you a 50-inch vertical jump out of nowhere and, and things of this nature. Do you ever think about yeah, stuff like absolutely. that? Yeah, absolutely. That's why I get up at 5 a.m. every day and go to work. That's 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 what we're after. I'm always trying to trying to break through because just like any industry, uh, the performance and the strength and conditioning industry, we evolve. And so the goal is to get better. Now, the 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 improvements are marginal when you look at like the last five years where we're at now. It's marginal, but especially in basketball, it's going up. You know, when I was growing right. up, if you saw a point guard dunk in high school, it was like mind blowing. And now it's like every 15-year-old freshman is throwing down windmill dunks, which it's is crazy. crazy. But, I mean, we, we continue to evolve and, and uh, we continue to get more athletic. So, for me, it's just being on the cutting edge of the science. Uh, we do a lot on the science side with force plates and motion tracking and all that stuff. And so we can really uh, figure out what the athlete's limiting factor is and then attack that specifically. And I think there's no reason why people won't be getting – 50 inch verticals someday you, you spoke you just spoke about growing up can, can you walk us through your basketball journey and where you fell in love with basketball and just athletic performance in general yeah so I'm undersized um, I was always the smallest guy on my team I grew up with the ball in my hand so like from age okay. three years old I, I everything was basketball like if I'm going to the store I'm dribbling to the store I would listen to music and I would dribble to the music right. and so I got really skilled at a very young age um but I was always kind of not necessarily not slow, but not fast. And I was always undersized. 
And so getting into high school, I started studying it and I started training myself and I saw some improvements, but I would go on these visits. I was getting recruited by some bigger division one schools and I would go on these visits and all of the coaches told me the same thing. They're like, we're in love with your skill, but we're not positive that you can hang physically because being 5'11", you have to be insanely fast to, to hang at that high level. And so I decided to go all in on that. I ended up going to community college um, and I, I went there with the mindset that I'm just going to improve my athleticism and then see where I can take it from there and got really good results in that year. Uh, ended up getting some injuries, so I didn't actually get to play. Um, took the next year off completely and just really uh, dove into the science and started really learning how to train, applied it to myself, gained 12 inches on my vertical that year. And from then wow. it was like from barely touching the rim to windmill dunks, 360 dunks. Uh, I was faster. My lateral speed was better. I was stronger. Uh, so I ended up going to Northern Arizona back to my hometown uh, to play a year there, ended up getting hurt there. So I didn't actually get to play a game. Um, and then from there, it was either go back. Uh, I could have gone back for my senior year and then carry on with the goal of trying to go overseas and go get paid. Um, but I kind of realized the transformation that I made was pretty special. And I was like, I wonder if I could help some other kids make the same transformation. So I started just training kids in the community, did it for free, didn't expect anything in return. And a lot of these kids were getting good results as well. And once I realized that, I figured I could go pretty big with this, with this system that I created. And I decided to go all in on business and I quit basketball. So, I mean, even when I did quit, I still stayed around it every day. Still to this day, I do skills training every day. Uh, it's just a part of who I am. But yeah, I, I kind of saw the potential in just running the business. And I figured that's the side that I'm actually the most passionate about. And I felt like I could I could uh, blow it up and be one of the best in the world. So I went with that route. I'm the same as you, man. Skill, de skill development is just like part of who I am. Because I played 10 years overseas. And after I, I always thought after my career, I would never work on my game. And it's funny, I find myself working on my game all the time. Yeah, no, like I don't understand how people retire and then actually don't play. Like I, I pretty much yeah. have to play every day. Yeah, no, me too. I'm in the same boat. So you actually increased your vertical um, in college. And I, I listened to the podcast and uh, you were talking about how some of the one and done, some of the one and done guys you work with, they actually lose their vertical a little bit that one year they get in college. Why do you feel that is? Yeah, which is pretty crazy to me. Um a lot of times these guys, it's usually the guys who are natural athletes. So think about the kid right. that you played high school with or against who never lifted a weight. They never trained and they're thrown down in between the legs dunks. And you're just like, how right. in the heck are you doing that? It's, it's, it's a natural thing, whether it's fast switch muscle fibers or long Achilles tendon. There's a lot of different things that can lead to a natural vertical. But they go to college and then the strength staff is just purely about heavy weights. At, at a lot of these big schools um, it's just pure heavyweights and there's a place for heavyweights uh, but it's just a, a part of training it's not everything and so these guys go in and they get so much stronger they put on body weight uh, but they actually decrease their vertical um, because they already had it naturally and they didn't need to be loaded with a bunch of weights and then they also get ran to death by the head coaches and so they're overtrained. Um, definitely they, they get a lot less elastic and, and a lot less bouncy. And so we'll get them uh, for, for a pre-draft and their verticals way down. 
after just one year. And then we kind of unload them. We take them away from the super heavyweights. Uh, we don't run them to death uh, in that pre-draft process. And all of a sudden that elasticity starts to come back that they naturally had. And so they'll, they'll usually gain it back plus a little bit more. But it is funny. Guys go off to college and for some reason they just start to decrease. Yeah, you, you know, you're a, a lot closer to uh, some of these um, top level college guys than I am. Are they still running sprints like, oh, like uh, they used to call them suicides. I don't know if that's a proper yeah. word anymore. Are they still running those over and over again for hours and hours? Oh, yeah. Know. Yep. <laughs> even even at the big programs, a lot of the big programs, the, the head coach is still running the conditioning. So like the strength coach right. will do the strength portion. But then as far as the peer conditioning, a lot of times it'll still be the head coach and they'll go out on the track and do miles. Uh, they'll do suicides. And so they're doing long distance stuff, still doing long distance stuff, oh, yeah, my God. which makes no sense. <laughs> we never go at, at one all pace the entire game. But uh, yeah, coaches still do that kind of stuff. I mean, it's getting better over time. But I think the thing is this. A lot of the big programs have coaches that have been around for a long time. And it's hard for them to adapt. And especially from my experience, the, the guys at the very top, the, the best coaches who have been around forever. And they're like, well, in 1990, this is the program that I ran and we won the national championship. Why would I get away from that? So, you know, they're kind of positively reinforced by their previous successes. And so they just keep doing the same thing, even though there's all kinds of data, all kinds of science that that might not be necessarily the best way to get them conditioned you know like let's say if you're at duke you still see zion playing crazy above the rim so they think it's like yeah it, it could be part of the training but no they, they could we could be get, even getting the athletes even better yes than did like yes that. you know exactly what I mean? exactly so um the old school thought is uh dynamic stretching before static after how has that changed yeah so i would still say that's that's appropriate dynamic before for sure that's the one thing that's yeah. for sure um, static after is debatable, uh, because we're okay. starting to realize that we're probably not doing that much with sitting and holding a stretch. Um, it gives okay. you this temporary relief. It, it, the one thing that the data shows that it does is it temporarily makes you feel better. It doesn't do anything okay. to make a lasting change because that it does has no effect on soreness. Um, maybe it increases your flexibility a little bit. Uh, but by doing that, you could also be harming some stuff. So like we have these things called like the gtos uh which are basically in your tendons and when we're stretching we're not actually stretching to lengthen the muscle we're just turning those gtos off and those gtos are super important for explosiveness so there's a thought and there's actually some good data that at some point if we static stretch too much and become too flexible we're turning off those D gtos and we're decreasing our explosiveness i would say overall static stretching just doesn't have much of an effect it's probably not going to help you long term and it's not going to hurt you i still do okay. it for some guys because they just like to do it and it, again it feels good and it for me it gets yeah. you to just relax after the workout which is a good thing so if we can get you to lay around for 10 minutes and just move around a little bit it's just a it, it's a good thing to do to kind of unwind from the workout now if we're looking at actually changing flexibility and mobility that comes from load. So full range of motion strength training, right? If you were to do deep squats, that's probably the best ankle mobility that you can get. You'd get much wow. more ankle mobility out of a deep squat than you would uh, static stretching your calves. 
So that, so the, would you think like take the, a, the taking br- a kettlebell or something after the workout? Would, would that be beneficial and doing some squats, some light squats? Yeah, I mean, I think it should mostly be, yeah, doing some light squats just to um, just as like a general cool down is a good thing. But like, That's yeah, if, if you're. I mean, even like a slow five minute jog into a walk, that's great. Like you see these guys do uh, the Normatex or recovery pumps, like the boots that they put on, you know, like, like LeBron yeah. does. Yeah. Those are great, Definitely. but those are no different than a 10 minute cool down from the, from a standpoint of blood pooling and, and all the effects that those things have. And those are like 3000 to $5,000. It's the same exact effects that a 10 minute, like slow jog into a walk would have. So yeah, just a general cool down is, is the best thing that you can do after a workout. Um, but again, like when it comes to actually increasing uh, the, 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 the mobility and the flexibility, you got to load the body. So full range of motion strength training um, and then different stuff that, that challenges your stability. Because when a muscle is, you feel like it's not flexible, it's usually because it's weak. And then your brain is saying, your brain is like, it, it's overprotective. So it's like, hey, that muscle is weak. I don't think we should be moving very much. And so then it makes it tight. So stretching isn't the answer. You Actually getting it stronger was the answer. Interesting. Yeah, because I, I always static stretch after. But that's – that's, I guess uh, when you feel good, you play good? Yeah. That, well, that's the big thing that I always say. Placebo yeah. matters. So static yeah. stretching is a placebo effect. You feel good and you feel like you did the right thing. And there's guys like – you know, Kobe, who will be like, yeah, man, static stretching is what made me play so long. The truth is it wasn't static stretching. He did a million different things, right? He did, he did yeah. uh, massage. He did strength training every day. So like he did five things that were probably really good. He also did static stretching. Uh, he just att- attributes the stretching, which uh, that's fine. I mean, you don't want to ruin that placebo effect by telling him, no, you're, you're full. Yeah. Speaking of uh, Kobe, man, if you listen to some of the stories about him working out, a professional such as yourself must think that that had to be overtraining. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, it is, but there's certain guys who can handle that, that much okay. volume. Like it's very rare. Um, people forget that like, you know, with genetics, you think of athleticism. Well, there's also a genetic component to how much volume you can handle. So some guys okay. absolutely can push through five, six hours a day. Whereas the other 90%, if you push them through that same workout, they're going to break down. So yeah, as far as, you know, if he's saying go do this and train for six hours a day, overall, it's very bad advice because we're not all built like Kobe. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he's, he definitely had a long successful career. And I, I think a lot of those stories are true based on what I've seen. He was pretty intense. Um, benefits of training barefoot. What, what, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, it's huge. Yeah. In our vert code programs, that's a big thing that, that I think we're getting a lot of gains off, off training the feet. Um, so you don't want to go zero to a hundred because we all grew up in these basketball shoes, stiff sold. So our feet suck. They're terrible. We, we don't know how to activate these little muscles in the feet. Um, our joints don't work the right way in the feet because we've seriously screwed ourselves up by wearing shoes for so long. So you don't want to go zero to a hundred, but I do think that like your first week go out of the shoes for like 10 minutes and then the next week, maybe 15 minutes. And then the next week, maybe 20 minutes. And we're talking low level balance drills. Maybe you do your, your dynamic warm up barefoot, uh, but don't go like crazy plyometrics, jumping, running, 
uh, because you'll develop some overuse injuries, but you just gradually overload it. And so every week you just add a little bit more. Eventually you'll get to the point where you can do your entire strength training session barefoot. And that is huge because the, the, the feet are the foundation. So when we're looking at change of direction, when we're looking at speed, vertical jump, everything has to go through the feet. And so if we have any weak links in there, then we're seriously limited as an athlete. How important is footwork and foot speed in terms of improving a player's handle? Oh, it's huge. I think um, I've seen so many players that are incredible with their actual hands, like two ball dribbling, three ball dribbling, every different combo they could ever have without shifting, without moving. Um, But they don't do anything in a game. And then I've seen on the flip end, guys who actually have overall terrible dribbling skills, like they can't do drills at all, but their footwork is so good. They're born, they're built like running backs or like corners where they can just move. They got that foot speed, that quickness, ability to change direction. So I would take that any day of the week over the guy who's just really good with the hands. Obviously the goal is to have both, but the, the footwork I would say is the number one priority for ball handling. If you just had a few minutes for my younger listeners, um, what, what are the best ways to improve your vertical jump? Yeah, so it depends on the age. Um, at the younger, at the super young levels, we're talking like under 16, uh, under 14 or 15, it, I think you can squeeze out as much as you can with body weight training. So okay. like a, a rear foot elevated split squat, and you can search that on Google, uh, re- rear foot elevated split squat with your body right. weight. Um, a rear foot elevated split squat iso hold. So now at that very bottom position of the lunge, you hold that and you just gradually overload. So it'd start with 30 seconds. The next week you'd go 40 seconds. The next week you'd go 50 seconds. You could probably get all the way up to a minute. So at those younger ages, really just building some general strength through body weight training is, is very beneficial. I don't think they need that much plyometrics. I, I think what they're missing is that general strength. And, um, then you, do you feel that way? Cause they're getting their plyometrics while they play. Yes. They're getting a lot of plyometrics while they play. Also kids play a lot in general. Well, much less right. now, but like, if you go watch recess, if recess is done the right way, that's unorganized plyometrics. They're hopscotch right, right. and they're playing basketball and soccer. All of these are essentially plyometric movements. You know, they're jumping off the top of the swing and landing. Like they do a lot of stuff that challenges that plyo side. Um, already just in their day-to-day life and so usually they're pretty good on that side they just don't have any muscle in their legs yet and so it's actually pretty tough because then every time they jump and land they're taking those forces to the joints so when you start to build a little bit of muscle then you can start absorbing in the muscle and the muscle can absorb any amount over time And so if you're absorbing in the joints, that's going to break down. You're going to start to break down at an earlier age. And we don't see, we don't think about that because as kids, you're not, it's not an immediate injury, but it could be something where you're taking five, 10 years off of your career and you don't even know it. Whereas all you had to do was go in and do some bodyweight strength training, hip bridges, planks, rear foot elevated split squats. All of a sudden you start to build enough muscle so that you're absorbing in the muscles and you're saving your joints long-term. Then I I guess for the older, like your high school and college audience, um, the, the, probably the number one uh, vertical jump exercise is a depth jump. There's a million different ways to do it. 
um, starting with a very low box, a 12-inch box, dropping off, getting off quick off the ground, getting as high as you can. And then you just gradually progress by increasing the drop height of the box. And you can get all the way up to probably a 36-inch box. Um, that That's a very proven, simple exercise. Of course, you need a base of strength because you can get hurt doing that. But uh, assuming that your joints are good and you have a good base of strength, I would say if I had to stick to one exercise, it would be a death jump. What do you feel are like the best lifts for uh, improving your vertical and overall athleticism if you just have a certain amount of time in a week to get lifts Yeah, done? so uh, for me, a rear foot elevated split squat loaded. Um, and okay. so you can start with dumbbells by your side. Eventually, your grip strength becomes a limiting factor. So like if you're holding 70-pound dumbbells in each hand, at some point, yeah. your legs can do the exercise, but your grip, you can't just, you can't hold on. So at that point, right. we would switch over um, to, we would go to a trap bar uh, or That's interesting. trap bar or the, we have trap bars without the back. So it makes it really easy. Um, some guys, if all you have is a Smith machine, I actually like the Smith machine rear foot elevated. Um, and then some guys could go to the barbell. It's a little bit more dangerous. Um, but I love that. I love that because uh, you, you don't have as much load on your back. So when we think about heavy lifting and getting this high force, which stimulates those fast switch muscle fibers, you know, if we're going to do it through a heavy back squat, your lower back is actually the limiting factor. Like when you get stuck at the bottom of a squat, it's not because your legs are too weak. It's usually because your, your spine can't handle it. And so you're not truly overloading your legs when you're doing a, a double leg squat, which that is still great, but I do prefer that rear foot elevated because we have half the overall load, but that leg still gets trained just as hard or actually harder. Um, and then the other one would be some sort of, you got to have some sort of deadlift uh, pattern. So a trap bar deadlift, a barbell deadlift, a barbell RDL, uh, a lot of different ways to build strength there, but that's more hip dominant. And that's where a lot of our power comes from in the vertical is our glutes. So you always got to have some type of squat pattern, which I would prefer that rear foot elevated single leg squat. Uh, and then that, and then some sort of hip hinge deadlift. It's, it's obviously safer not to load a whole bunch of weight on your back and uh, yes. do these, do these lifts, but um, can you get maximum results without using maximum weight? Yeah, you can. Um, so that's another one of the misconceptions is people hear high intensity or max effort and they think, Oh, I got to go as heavy as possible. Well, no, you could just go max effort, meaning I'm trying to get up as fast as possible. So basically velocity-based training, that's a huge key. And so basically instead of loading up with your, let's say we're doing a back squat, instead of loading up with 100% or like 95% of your max, you could go 70% of your max, which feels light, but you control down and then at the bottom you get up as fast as possible. And so you're standing up in less than half a second, 0.5 seconds or less. And um, so you're, you're training a quality that we would call strength speed. And so when it comes to actually translating to the court, those lighter, faster lifts are going to be actually probably more beneficial than the heavy loaded stuff. And it's a little safer on the body because like you said, now you only have 50 to 70% of your one rep max, right. max on your back. You don't have to deal with those hundred percent max loads yeah i think we all dread uh going max on the squat oh, right? it's, it's it's the wrong <laughs> stress for our body we've always known it as hoopers coaches have always told us yeah. to do it 
And we all like have that same look on our face. Like this is not the right thing to be doing. And so uh, luckily yeah, this now can't we be actually good. have science to prove that, yeah, that's probably not the, the best thing to be doing to our athletes. Right. So is there a wave or trend that you see coming in athletic performance or vertical jump training that's not quite here yet? Like you see it bubbling up? Um, I think one thing is starting to be able to indiv- individualize. I think previously right. we all just thought like, well, generally strength is good. Generally flexibility is good. Now we're starting to realize like with the stuff that we're doing with the EMG and the force plate and the motion tracking, we're starting to realize that there's so many different ways to improve a vertical and it all depends on what your limiting factor is. So that's going to be the future of it is all of this technology that I'm using that's tens of thousands of dollars. It's going to eventually be affordable and you're going to be able to go get it at a local gym, hopefully. And so you're going to be able to start to test and figure out exactly what you need so that you can individualize your approach. Cause that could be a game changer instead of like, we've always just guessed and checked, right? As athletes, it's just like, well, let's just try this exercise and see if it works. I think in the next five to 10 years, everything will get to the point where you hop on a force plate and you figure out what your limiting factor is and you know exactly how to attack it. So that's going to accelerate results, I think. What age do athleticism start to decline? Did you say, when does it start to decline? Yeah, around what age do you feel? Because everybody has different thoughts on this. Yeah, so it's, again, it's, highly genetic there's a huge genetic component to that but um you know it it depends it really depends on how you take care of your body i would say overall at around 25 is when you don't see people increase as much um crazy sometimes there's somebody who trained so bad from age 15 to age 25 that they still have room for improvement because their training was just that bad and so now, That's now true. you get them on a good program and all of a sudden they're breaking through and making huge, huge gains. But if you get somebody who's been training well for, you know, 10 years at that age, I think around 25, you're not going to see increases, but I think you could probably maintain where you're at or maybe have slight decreases up until around age 30. And then I think you're going to start to notice bigger decreases. Now there are certain people who can absolutely stay at that peak explosiveness until 35 or close to 40. There's, I know a few pro dunkers that I've assessed who are mid thirties and they jump just as high. Um, but it's that's crazy. sort of a different story because again, we talked about that load and how load on our body and, and running and doing all this stuff that we have to do in basketball could, could be hurting our elasticity. It could right. be building up scar tissue, a pro dunker. They just got to go dunk. And so if they want to, they want to take the next day off they can do that right an nba player yeah. they can't do that they're back to backs and so i think in in organized basketball you're going to have a decline faster than if you're like a pro dunker or a track athlete or something like that um but yeah i mean i think i think uh it's highly genetic and it also really depends on how well you want to take care of your body and how well you want to eat right also a pro dunker could just focus on the jump training yeah in terms of all different other types of trainings that you yeah, can get done. Yeah, that's the thing. And, and with, with yeah. the fast twitch, what we know is that when you do a lot of endurance, you decrease the, your percentage of fast twitch. Right, and that can right. be significant on our episode. They don't have to play. Yeah, yeah, they don't have to play. So they don't have those endurance demands. So like uh, an NBA player, they got to be in shape for at least eight months right. out of the year. 
And so yeah. you can never truly optimize your fast switch as an NBA player. So, I mean, you hope you're Gerald Green and you come, come in with such a high amount that even when you decrease it a little bit, you're still crazy bouncy. 100%. Great stuff. Um, Paul, where can we find your programs? Where can we find you on social media? Just tell us everything. Yeah, so uh, pjfperformance.net is where we have all of our online programs. Uh, so I got a couple different options for young kids, body weight programs, and then for the intense athletes, we got the Vert Cody Elite. Um, I also have a ball handling program. Um, and then my social media is where I post a lot of our content. That's at PJF Performance on Instagram and at PJF Performance on YouTube. And then we also have our uh, podcast. It's called the PJF Podcast. And you can get that on YouTube or Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, SoundCloud, all that good stuff. Man, that was great, man. Great stuff. Thanks for being here. You're always welcome back on the show. All right, Paul. man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Anytime, Paul. Talk all right, soon. Have a good one. There it is. Episode 82 is in the books. Big shouts to Paul for joining in. We appreciate you. Combo Nation. Let me know how you feel about this episode right on the comment section of your Apple Podcast app. Be on the lookout for episode 83. Combo out.